Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is Totally 80s, the podcast dedicated to the music of the greatest decade ever. So turn up your Walkman, loosen that scrunchie and get ready to talk 80s with your host, Lindsay Parker. Hi, I'm Lindsay Parker from Yahoo Entertainment and Sirius XM Volume, and this is another episode of Totally 80s. If this is the first time you're joining us, why not take a moment to follow us at Totally 80s on Facebook and Instagram, or email us your comments and show ideas to podcast at totally80s.com. You can also see our episodes on video, so go to our Totally 80s YouTube channel and check it out if you are so inclined. Join me today as my partner in all things 80s, the Jerome to my Morris. Don Hughes. Hi. Uh, gosh, I'm going to try not to make another bad print, Prince pun this week. I'm just <laughs> okay, we'll go over ahead. I'll do it. John, right. is the water warm enough? We did that already. We did that last time. It was good the last time. Uh, yes, the water's fine, Lindsay. <laughs> do you have another Prince one you want to do? No, no, I did. You got the look last time. Uh, no, I, uh, I think we're good. How's the family? Oh, <laughs> the brutal line in Purple Rain just cuts to the bone. Well, <laughs> speaking of the family, not the band, though we will talk about them as well. But speaking of the totally 80s family, we have a guest that's joining us again that I am excited to have. Joining us again to talk is a recurring guest, totally 80s, who has had a long career writing about music and pop culture, starting from his days at his college paper and then going on to write for Billboard, Rolling Stone, the LA Times, Spin, Vibe, NPR, and so much more. And you can currently read his work on rhino.com as well as see him every Friday on the Rhino Report across social media. But we, of course, know him best as one of the writers for totally80s.com. Welcome back to the show, Scott T. Sterling. Hello, welcome back. It's great to see you guys again. Good to see you. It, we didn't get around to talking about all the Prince protégés. The subject today, in case people hadn't figured it out from all of the terrible puns me and John were saying before <laughs> you joined us, we were talking last time about Prince protégés and mentees. There were so many that we only got to the tip of the, the purple iceberg last time. I so didn't even tell all my Des Dickerson stories yet. I've got so many more. <laughs> awesome. Well, let's get started. There are definitely some more obscure protégés that I want to get to that people don't know about, but we do have to talk about Sheely, of oh, course. Yeah. They were a couple. They were engaged. She's still very much a part of his legacy when there was the tribute to him that the Grammys did in early 2020 in the before times. She was the music director of it. I mean, almost to call her a protege is kind of doing her a disservice given her, her mm. pedigree and everything she's done since she was associated with Prince. But she was very and much part. <laughs> and before... Yeah. You know, and and her just you know she's performed at the Oscars. I mean, she's she's a force. 
but she, you know, was definitely in his or we'll call her a mentee. I don't know. I mean, they, de- they were definitely peers, but, and she, uh, is very much associated with his legacy. And she did a couple albums during, you know, the glamorous life and romance 1600. I, my favorite jam by her is love bizarre, which is a song. Classic. And I like Holly rock again. That's the song by Sheila E that is on the originals album. His version's pretty awesome, but let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, Sheila E how they came together. Cause like I'm saying, not exactly a protege, not exactly some like newbie he took under his wing, but you know, just, he was very, he very much orchestrated the yeah. the lane her career went down. You just reminded me of the other song that was meant for Apollonia Six, which was the glamorous life. Really, sung by Apollonia, and yeah, you know what? This is too good for you. And like, <laughs> take it away. Because I'm, I'm sure that Sheila E's artistry was really like appealing to him. On top of everything else, like he's in love with her. They're a couple, but then it's like she can get on the drums and out rock him. And he's like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, let's we can work with this. You know, like there is a version of Glamorous Life on Originals as well, and you know it's great. But yes, there was that secret sauce of her drumming, and also just not just how it sounded, but I very vividly remember the first time I saw her on MTV, which would oh, have the been the Glamorous. It was the fact great. that she was drumming and singing, and not just the drumming, but also serious. like standing up while drumming and dancing while drumming, and like doing little routines at the sticks, <laughs> spinning yeah. around. I was, that was the that was the Purple Rain tour when it was just yeah. Prince Sheila E, Bang Bang, back to back, and That's so she just came out and just dazzled you, just like it was like what 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 you know. And it was <laughs> that the high, perfect setup, perfect. That setup. high that high kick in heels to the cymbal is just yeah. Oh come on. <laughs> best move. <laughs> the secret, like for me again, secret weapon on that album, which again sounds like an Apollonia Six outtake, is uh, Bell of Saint Mark. That totally sounds like it was supposed to be written for Apollonia Six yeah, because so, it doesn't fit, and it's very new wavy, and there's not like a drum break or anything, and yeah, it's crazy. So yeah, is actually, the take so is the takeaway <laughs> from this is that Apollonia Six got screwed of yeah. all the good songs big time. <laughs> Because I put that Apollonia 6 record right next to Ice Cream Castle. They both have this real afterthought feel to them and just like, well, we got to have something in the marketplace. So just kind of. We we know know. there are demos for all those songs for Apollonia 6. Must not have been happy with how the vocals were. I mean, you know. You don't say. She was an actress. She wasn't a singer. She was an actress. At all, yeah. And also, quick Sheila E shout out from the first album, The Ballad Noon Rendezvous. Yes. Very underrated ballad. Very pretty song. Uh, it, Romance sixteen hundred, I think, is an underrated record, and it got you know it it kind of bounced back when Love Bazaar was a single. But people forget the first single was Sister Fate, and it was a tremendous flop. And, and how does that even happen? Like really? how did that song get picked? It's a great, but don't you think it's a great song though, or do you think it's wrong choice for a single? I just think it's the wrong choice for the single. It's a good song, but I just think for the single, it just didn't have that. Thing that yeah. Love Bizarre had, which was that. Oh, that groove. You can't, yeah. Yeah. And you can just lock right into that very erotic city. Just once you're in it, you can stay there forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. One, weird choice. One thing I was going to say, sort of talking about like how I feel he was a real champion of women and how it the, the dynamic between him and his female proteges, even the ones that he had romantic relationships with, didn't seem icky or inappropriate or power imbalanced is, you know, Sheila E, like I said, she music directed, you know, many tributes to Prince, including the big Grammy one last year, you know, will always speak about him, will always be proud of her connection. Isn't unlike someone like Maddie six, 
uh, vanity. I mean, um, trying to distance herself from the legacy of Prince. Like, but I feel like, and with Vanity, it was a different story because it was kind of like she just wanted to disavow her whole past life, including, you know, the Nikki six years and all that. But like, in general, it seems like the women who worked with Prince, you know, even if the personal and the professional cross, it's like they have very fond memories of it. They're not, um, yeah. they're not well, trying he to definitely empowered them. You always put them in positions where they could sort of like, it wasn't just like, and here's the pretty girl. It was like, right. And mm -hmm. Here's this amazing artist or here's you give them a platform. And then if you could, you know, do what you're going to do with the platform, you know? And like, you just, I would argue Sheena Easton was more of a record company puppet before Prince. Big time. Uh, he he liberated that woman. He freed yeah. her. Yeah. I mean, you go, from, <laughs> you go from morning train nine to five to sugar walls. <laughs> I yeah. mean, a bit of a leap, but she did, <laughs> she did seem to be a little bit more in control. It could be all, Big time. it could be all for show, but at least it right. gave the appearance of her being more in control of her. Cause career. it was such a dramatic, but it was also so good. I mean, Sugar was, Walls, I still play that 12 inch. <laughs> it was Sandy at the end of Greece again, you know? Yeah, oh my God, yes. <laughs> well, that's become kind of a trope in pop that, uh, uh, you know, like I'm thinking of more modern versions sure. of it. Like, uh, <laughs> like Christina and Dirty, Christina yeah. Aguilera and Dirty with two R's is definitely one. Or even like Janet Jackson when she, you know, did yeah. control or more when she got sexy of this idea of like, oh, I used oh, to be this yeah. young puppet and now I'm a sexy woman. And yes, I remember that when Sheena Easton first came out, uh, my first memory of her was morning train. It was very oh, yeah. regressive and housewifey. Like, Oh, mm -hmm. I stay at home and wait for my husband to come home and bring home the bacon. And, and, and a modern yeah. girl was sort of like, Oh, she wants to be a modern girl, but not really. Yeah. She'd actually right. rather be uh, a stay at home, you know, housewife or whatever. And then sugar walls came out and it was definitely like, okay, I've arrived or fuck all that. Pardon my French F all that. Um, I'm a new woman. Um, did Prince have any hand in Strut or was Sugar Walls their first collaboration? Uh, Sugar Walls was the only thing that he's really, I believe that's the only thing he's really credited for because he's he, he didn't get any kind of credit for The Lover and Me or for Strut. But I, I kind of suspect they were getting demos for that record and, and soliciting songwriters. And that song came in and they were like, do we want to do this? If we're going to do this, the rest of the album kind of has to match it. <laughs> right, we need to it informed that whole album but that yeah. album does a smash for her i mean what a turnaround that she had songs like morning train where she was kind of like america's sweetheart or i guess scotland's sweetheart, scotland's sweetheart. <laughs> but then from what i recall sugar walls even though the video itself was just a performance-based video, there were outlets that didn't want to oh, you yeah. know, play it. it was, and actually, yeah. <laughs> it was in the PRMRC's Filthy 15. Super controversial when it came out. I remember very well. People were very scandalized by that track. So the no. Filthy 15 was when the PRMRC <laughs> were like, these are the most offensive songs in pop yeah. right now for various, I believe were either Rotic City or Darling Nikki might have been on that. Was Darling Nikki was the big, that was like the, the Flashpoint song. Now, Lindsay, after your story about Pretty Miss, I have to ask, did you know what Sugar Walls was about? <laughs> that one I did. That one okay. I did. I don't, I mean, maybe because I read, maybe because of the fact that the Filthy 15 thing brought it to my oh, attention. Go, like, yeah. why is this, why was, would the PMRC yeah. be upset about sugar? Or do they, are they diabetics? Like, do they prefer us to use, you know, Stevia? Like, why? What is wrong with sugar walls? Candy's nice. And then it's like, oh, okay, that's it. All right. That PMRC list 
was the most useful thing for a teenager in the 80s. I'm like, cool. I'm going to check out yeah, buying all of these cool, songs. I Thanks, need all Timber. these records. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I Thanks. mean, there's actual statistics to show that when they started putting like the warning labels on things that like it just did a favor to yeah. anyone who had that. And it definitely, if, I mean, it was a favor to Sheena if she was trying to reinvent herself and leave her old squeaky clean, you know, sandy <laughs> image behind by aligning herself with Prince and coming out with this, you know, total 180 of a song. It definitely worked. And then I remember when she was in the You Got the Look video, I was like, this chick's badass. So cool. And and was, just like you said, suddenly her hair kind of had this little... <laughs> <laughs> it was she was princeized. She was Minneapolis. She totally had been Minneapolis. I the best. I, I feel like you know how like every '80s teen rom com had a scene where like a nerdy girl goes to the mall with someone cooler, and then like <laughs> there's a vignette where they just like dress her up and cool stuff Makeover, and kind of turn her yeah. into like a a punk rocker or a valley girl, or whatever, and like makes her over. I feel like I really. I hope somewhere in the vault, maybe Morris Day had his beta cam video for this. <laughs> he like took the people that, you know, where he took Sheila E or he took exactly. Sheila Easton or whoever. He's dressing her and fixing her hair. It's <laughs> like, here, do this. Put on this jacket. Exactly. Put on these pants. Put on I this brocade it. suit with the rubbled shirt. I imagine it happened in Paisley Park and there was like a bunch of closets and rooms. Big time. Oh my yeah. God. You had to go through the gauntlet. Just like, Extra that time you come out, you're just like the frilly late. shirt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, let's talk a little bit about someone who definitely rocked that look very well, and that's Wendy and Lisa from the Revolution. Oh, the legends. The Wendy Where Melbourne. Where it all began. Where it all began. Where What's Prince learned he could trust women and they could take over and get it done even better than he could. I'm going to go on the record. Prince has never had better editors than Wendy and Lisa. When he had those two checking him, he made his best music because they were the only ones that had the power to be like, eh, and he would actually be like, you know what, you're right. Oh, really? Any, any guy or anything that he would just be like, whatever. Wendy and Lisa could be like, mm, and he would actually listen. And that's what I missed when they broke apart. I well, missed that a lot. <laughs> I mean, the 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 plot of Purple Rain is sort of our imitating life, and that the yeah. whole plot, from what I recall, is that Absolutely. the char the characters in the band played by Wendy and Lisa say, "Hey, we have this great song, and we want to introduce it to the band." And the kid, Prince's character, is resistant to that. But at the end, when he's like, fine, let me listen to the <laughs> tape, he's like, oh, oh man. Like, look at what happens when we actually work together. When I listen to the, the women. Yeah. And then, you know, <laughs> he has the big, powerful moment. Then the movie, the triumphant, you know, triumph over adversity moment when he plays the song that the women in his band brought for exactly. him. So it was definitely <laughs> some art imitating life. I did not realize until relatively recently, I did realize that Wendy was very young when she joined the band. She was only like 19. But Maybe. from what I understand, her first public gigs with the revolution were at First Avenue for the shows that were filmed for the movie Purple Rain. Wow. I, I, think, that's, I think that's correct. Yeah. It's a, I'm, I did interview them around the time that they re, the revolution reunited um, about a year after Prince had died and then started to tour. And from what she told me, her first public gig with the band took place at First Avenue and three of the recorded performances of that night made it into the Purple Rain album, maybe not the film, but onto the album. So that's, I mean, if that's a trial by fire right there, it's like you're 19, you're playing with Prince. And that's how she got the gig was just by being so good. Cause you know, like Des had left, he was out there looking for somebody and you know, Prince's girlfriend, Suzanne, I was like, well, my sister plays guitar and she showed up and immediately locked in with the band. And Prince was like, oh shit, we got a new guitar player. Like it was immediate. 
Wasn't Wendy going out with Lisa at the time? And Lisa was already in like the 1999 yeah. era of the band. So there was all that connection. And that was, you know, obviously. <laughs> a lot of a lot of love connections going on in that who's, band. Who's with Lisa in the 1999 video? Is it Brenda? I thought that was Jill Jones. Am I wrong? Jill Jones, thank you. Oh, okay, okay. Let's That's talk about Jill Jones for a second because we're, we're, we're talking a lot about how like Apollonia got the short end of the stick and like didn't <laughs> didn't get all these songs that were Talk earmarked about the for her. Imitating life, like Jill her role in Jones. Rain is her role in real life. So she has basically a cameo as like a waitress or something in Purple Rain. She's like, always a step behind. She's always just missing the boat. So from what I understand of the Jill Jones and how she got a raw deal, and actually I interviewed Jason Faulkner uh, about a year and a half ago, about a year ago, and about his career. And I asked him all about the three o'clock stuff. And he had very nice things to say about Jill Jones. I guess she sort of was not coming on, uh, coming on to him in a skeevy way, but when he was at a party at Paisley park, he met her and she was clearly interested in him. And he was a little shy or intimidated. Cause he's like, Oh my God, you're Jill Jones. And you're so awesome. And you're so gorgeous. And he kind of like, instead of going for it, sort of like retreated and he uh, regretted that <laughs> as well. He should, uh, yeah. but she got a raw deal. So from what I understand, she was part of the Prince world, the Prince camp since around like 1982. And, you know, like I said, she was in that iconic scene in the 1999 video playing the keyboard up close with Lisa and she, you know, the, the blonde real, you know, just an indelible image looking like a star. And she apparently was supposed to have her own solo album on Paisley Park. And it, I don't think it came out until like 87. It was produced and written with Prince with David Z. But by the time it came out, I, I uh, even though from the reviews, I think were pretty good. It kind of just didn't, it didn't get it was well it was after too the late. fact for sure. It was too late. So like, you know, have you heard that record of, you know, what, what are your thoughts on um, Jill Jones's talent? Cause she's one of the protégés that, you know, doesn't get top billing when we're, you know, talking about all the people he worked with and why she, didn't he give her the attention? She's no Dale. <laughs> well, at least I was aware <laughs> that they had a collaboration. So yeah. yeah no I mean, something sad about her story because the album did come so far after the fact, when I think they, of Joe Jones, I always think of the scene at the end of purple rain. Cause she's like where she's just standing. Remember in the alley after the big performance of purple rain and he gets all emotional and he runs outside and he runs off and she like comes out to talk to him and he just leaves her just standing there. And she's just like got tears in her eyes just standing there like, why? Why do I keep chasing this man who doesn't care about me? I'll just never forget that scene in the movie being like, because everybody's cheering and stuff. And I'm like, but the poor girl. <laughs> like he just left the poor girl who cared about him the whole movie and just never gave her the time of day. I think the fact that between the three of us, all we can remember are her scenes in Purple Rain in, in the 1990s. There it is. There it is. <laughs> It kind of speaks to the whole thing. I've read good reviews of it. I'm going to admit yeah. I have not sat with it, but I'm going to after this justice for Jill Jones because I feel that like she was kind of, you know, do do we think that Prince sort of had a short attention span? Because we're talking, you know, we're talking <laughs> about time. how he had these songs for Apollonia and then they were, we're talking about Dale Bozio and how like maybe she got kind of became an afterthought. Did he get like really excited about a project or a protege and then, get excited about the next one. What happened? What's that so. process? Scott mentioned Susanna Melvoin. We haven't mentioned the family. The family. Well, I'm about what? to, but since we're yeah. still in the Melvoin family, I did want to ask because, you know, um, Scott, you were saying that when Prince 
let Wendy and Lisa go. That those were his best collaborators, and uh, you know he never had collaborators like that again. I when I like I said I interviewed oh, the whole revolution when they reunited, and apparently Prince invited Wendy and Lisa to his house in L.A. What he was renting at the time for a meal of what she said was paper wrapped chicken, which she <laughs> said that. Because it was like a meal and chicken, but the paper, it was wrapped in paper. Like, I guess it was takeout or something. And um, she said that if they might as well have like wrapped up the chicken in pink slips, because that was what it uh, oh, basically wow. that he invited him over. And he basically said, you know, I want to let you guys go. And they said they saw it coming. Uh, they could tell on the tour they were doing or whatever that it was, but they the last show on the Purple Rain tour in Japan when he lost his mind and broke all his guitars at the end. And Wendy said she knew that night that they would never play again. They would never play together again live after that. But do wow. you know, do you have any insight into why if they were such great collaborators with whom he did, you know, arguably his most iconic work and they were a bit on the sign of the times as well, which is another landmark album of his, like, mm -hmm. why would he, sever that tie it doesn't sound like they you know it was a, a personal thing like they weren't getting along or yeah. didn't like that each weird other. that perpetual evolution with prince i think was so frustrating for so many people and i'm sure it was extremely frustrating for warners was he just always had to reinvent and do something you know like purple rain was still in the top 10 he's like here's my next record oh yeah no singles for a month you know <laughs> don't put my picture anywhere it's just like what are you doing it's like he was it would feel like he's trying to commit career suicide but he was trying so hard to evolve. And I think he just didn't see anything beyond that next thing, you know? Mm. So what you're saying, so what you're saying, Scott, it was a revolution evolution. There it is. <laughs> well said. Bye. So let's, let's talk about the other Melbourne, Susanna Melbourne, who was, you know, that, that band, the family was in, she was involved with that. And they sort yeah, of came out of the big Prince relationship, Susanna and Prince. They that were engaged. Big, big, yeah. A There's a one. weird dynamic there because Susanna and Wendy are identical twins. Identical. Right? <laughs> yeah. And Wendy is, is gay. And she was in a long relationship, personal relationship with Lisa during that entire time. And they're still friends and collaborators to this day. But like, there's a weird, very interesting dynamic there. So he's in love with Susanna <laughs> and writing songs with her. I'm wearing my Starfish and Coffee shirt today. That was co-written right by Susanna. Classic. But he's in, he's in love with Susanna and collaborating with her. But he's also very closely collaborating with a muse who is a platonic muse of his who is gay and who looks exactly like a <laughs> It's amazing. Like there's layers to that that I don't know how to unwrap. Serious, serious layers. That's it's a mini amazing. series. That's it's like you're making love to yourself, making love to you. Like it's just insane. Uh-huh. It's just like in, in, a, in a parallel universe, I'm a gay woman. And yeah, that's why, that's she, why you know, it's, yeah, it's just, it's, it's amazing. And the poor, <laughs> I think who got screwed the most out of the family experiences, uh, poor St. Paul. Who? Come on, St. Paul. <laughs> Paul. I don't know who St. Paul is. Who is St. Paul? He was the guy the in the group. Yeah. Uh, in Screams of Passion. And and he was very, very talented and very, uh, very uh, much on the rise and kind of got pulled into this orbit and then just, you know, ejected when Prince saw a squirrel or something wrong across there the it is. <laughs> uh, So I, it's a sad, it's kind of a sad story because this album is I don't know if you guys have heard the family record it's really I love the family record it's fantastic there's no there's no miss there's no um there's a reason why songs that were just afterthoughts on this record nothing compares to you 
the original version. You, yeah, thank you. Lived <laughs> on because it was really good. Such and a great record. Again, it's I really think it's that short Prince attention span. And it's a weird thing about Minneapolis in the 80s because obviously Prince is like megastar, blows up, takes over the world, the Minneapolis sound. So if you're an artist in Minneapolis at that time, it was probably a blessing and a curse. Because <laughs> yeah. you're like, hey, we're an opportunity. I'm the lead singer of the family. And then it's like, and then, you know, like you said, Prince saw a squirrel, so the family's no more. So now <laughs> what do I do? And it's like the few artists that were able to take that moment and then to just keep it going. Because, you know, often that Prince connection was literally all you had outside of Minneapolis. Yeah. And if just you got like kind a of weird time. And if you got kind of blacklisted or exactly, uh, yeah. or basically if you are on the outs with him, because uh, going back to more stay in the time, this is touched about in his book right. about time. Uh, you know, he his relationship with Prince, they were, you know, their their friendship went back to flight time into childhood, but it was a fraught relationship. And there were definitely times when they were on the outs and estranged and he definitely could be vindictive. And, you know, when we talk about, you know, why wasn't Morris Day bigger? Why didn't he go on to do this or that? You know, there was a little bit of that involved where like if he was on the outs with Prince, who was the king of Minneapolis, all those opportunities would be taken away as well. But, you know, not all protégés are created equal, both in talent or in terms of their uh, opportunities or in terms of their success. Some of them did get screwed over, as we've mentioned. Since we're talking about the sort of era in which Side of the Times happened, in which Sheena Easton came in, what are our thoughts on Kat? Kat Glover. <laughs> we, we would like her to rap. She did on her Cat on her Catwoman EP, which like is not... <laughs> she she did rap on her Catwoman EP, which bizarrely had I in my from what I know no connection to Bat Dance at all. Catwoman and Bat Dance not connected. <laughs> Stop so, there. So people who don't know what who Cat or Cat Glover was, she she's a great dancer. Okay, she's a great dancer. Maybe one of the best dancers or the best dancer to ever dance with Prince. And she choreographed a bunch of his videos and his, she was in his concert film for Sign of the Time. She was on that tour. And she was another person who was supposed to have an album on Paisley Park. The project was canceled. She eventually released the Catwoman EP, which to my knowledge, Prince didn't have any work on. And it doesn't sound like he did. <laughs> yikes it's like i just watched that video today to brush up and i'm like all right cat you tried it was not good. she she's on alphabet street she's all over alphabet she, street she, she the cover art of the single that's but have you heard but uh, we want you to rap and that's her rapping in the extended version of alphabet street she uh, raps on her Catwoman song and the results are not great not oh it's great on alphabet street do it like yeah. a <laughs> Is that an example of where she needed Prince to like bring out her best? Then, like, just like Carmen Electra needed Prince. I was to just gonna out. say, I file print. I, Cat Glover goes right next to Carmen Electra. Can we talk about Carmen Electra? We're cheating a little bit because that's not '80s. It was '93, but whatever, close right. enough. I don't feel like we can do a thing about Prince proteges without talking about Carmen. I just Electra. at least mention the fact that those two, like, that he that put happened. Her on. He put her on. How did that come about? Because I very actually quite vividly remember this, and I'm sure you guys too. In 93, MTV started to show these commercials that were like, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but were basically like, something huge is coming. Get ready for Carmen <laughs> Electra, which is, you know, a name that stands out. Sounds like a pop star, rock star name. Like, this is going to be big. And I, it, they might have actually teased, like, but it was kind of like, who is this? 
who is Carmen? It was like this real marketing <laughs> who is blitz. Carmen Electra. Mm -hmm. He named her. He named her. And yeah. I Did think, he? Yeah. And I think we all know how it came about. <laughs> yeah. He saw a picture of her and said, yeah, she, was, she like, a, was she a model before, an actress before? I'm sure she was a multi hyphen at Lindsay. Yeah. Still is. She still is. She's Doing a lifestyle guru. Exactly. I have, but that record wasn't. That record is one, unlike the Catwoman EP by Cat that she uh, was involved with, but it was not not his best work. No. no. <laughs> you have nothing more to say. When well, you since get to a point where you can produce anybody and have a hit, and it just keeps happening no matter what you do. The law of diminishing returns starts to kick in because you're just like, I can do anything. I'm Prince. Yeah. Pharrell went through it. I can produce anything. I can do country. I can do anything. And you just you start to delve into these areas that maybe you're not so strong at. And then you're like, hey, wait, what just happened? You know, it's like, that's not what you do, man. Like, you don't do counter electric dance pop. That's just not your strong suit. I will say, though, that unlike, you know, we've talked about some people who had a collaboration with Prince and it, it was not commercially or perhaps artistically successful. And then we never heard from them again. Carmen Electra, you know, to her credit, she went on to have a quite, I think a lot of she people took probably, that platform and picked it up and ran with it. She was just like, oh, I, everybody's looking at me now. Watch mm -hmm. this. I don't and think a lot of just people never stopped watching. I, I, I bet there's a lot of people who kind of forget that she even made a record. No with idea. It. Yeah, and maybe no she'd prefer it that way. Perhaps yeah. that's for the best. Someone that I think, since we're talking about actresses that made records uh, with Prince, and that also, since we're talking about women who made records with Prince that did not come out, apparently Kim Basinger made a record. Oh, yeah. In the 80s, around <laughs> oh, yeah. the time of Bat Dance and the Batman soundtrack. It was called a Hollywood Affair. Hollywood Affair. It never came out, but you can hear all of it on YouTube and other parts of the Ooh. dark web. She was, I do believe that the 12-inch of Scandalous that she was on, it was called Scandalous Sex Week. I do believe that was commercially <laughs> released. Yes. But oh, yeah. The she urban had, legend was that sounds of them getting it on in the studio made right. it onto that track, <laughs> that the moans, the like, you know, I feel love moans were not <laughs> acted. She is an Oscar winner, so maybe they were acted. They were convincing, though. There you go. She technically, she technically is on a top 40 hit thanks to Prince. Yeah. Uh, because Scandalous from the Batman soundtrack did scrape the lower reaches. <laughs> <laughs> scrape the lower reaches is a good way of putting it. But have you guys heard the bootleg, the unreleased, but available on the web? You know, thank you, Google. Uh, have you heard Hollywood Affair by Kim Basinger? No, but I'm typing as we speak. <laughs> I was going to say it's going to be the first thing I do. And I'm it's done not a disaster. It's not horrible. It's very generic. It, you know what it is? It's like generic. It's that he was doing that new Jack swing thing for a while. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of sex noises on it. There's a lot of stuff that sort of sounds kind of like the rap in Madonna's Vogue or justify my love, like sexy, right. not rap, but like spoken sexy talk. Um, it's not Watch bad, me. but it's super Watch generic. <laughs> yeah. It's like that. It's super generic. Um, She's not a terrible singer. You know, there's def I will say there's definitely actors and actresses who have made vanity pro no pun intended, vanity projects, uh recordings that were worse, that were more poorly sung. But I'm do any of you have any intel about how this record got made but didn't come out? I'm well, I just sure heard it was an extension of their relationship. <laughs> well, yeah, but like why it didn't come out. Do you do you have any intel? I'm wondering if like I think when they broke up, they broke up. <laughs> and she it's never just, pursued music again, like on her own. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like just a product of their relationship. 
That's a power. Nothing was going to, when they were done, it was so done that there was nothing was going to come of that like that. You know, she has a bit of a record of that with people. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like, and so does he. So they're kind of the perfect combination. I'm sure. I think we know all know how it came about. You know, they're making the Batman movie and he kind of sees. There there it is. And you have a Susanna Hoff situation on your hands and it goes further than the Susanna Hoff situation. I mean, it was a full album, but it never came out. I'm just wondering if any of you know, if like, not just because they broke up, but if like someone was like, this won't be a good for your career. This isn't a good record. This is going to be like a, uh, Russell Crowe, dog star Keanu Reeves situation where people are going to like make <laughs> right, fun of you and forever, say this is yeah. bad. It's not I mean, terrible. That would be, be a great question for her. I would love to hear her perspective on that because that's a really, really interesting question. I have, not no, terrible. I have no inside knowledge of this, but keep in mind, this is the same period where the Black Album was supposed to come out. Exactly. Prince was all over the place. Mm-hmm. He, he was finding religion and things mm. Uh, glyphs were being used instead of full name. <laughs> uh, mm. Warner Brothers was verboten. So a lot I, of crazy shit was going on. A lot of swirling yeah. stuff happening around this time. So I would not be surprised if this was a victim to that. I yeah, could I could see that. Yeah. yeah, I could see that. Well, before we wrap up, you know, we started by talking about the real obvious ones, the real success stories, and then we sort of got into the unsung ones or the, in some cases, the unreleased ones. Are there any other ones we want to do? I was doing, you know, we want to mention, like, I only very recently found out about Maserati, the band yeah. Maserati. And the, I mean, Maserati had some people, who, I believe Brown Mark from the Revolution was in it, and it was very princey. But Super what I, princey. I mean, like, kind of like, b-level princey like kind of like knock to princey like there was nothing yeah. original about how they looked or sounded but i did find out this is how i found out about them is this year marks the anniversary a very important anniversary when opposites attract by paul abdul won <laughs> the grammy for best short form video at the 1991 grammy awards very well deserved and i found out that marvin gunn from maserati was the voice of mc scat cat or one of the voices. very cool oh, the boy. singing voice not the rapping voice but the singing voice Poor guy. Um, <laughs> he, tr- he had he had brushes with pop culture, but he yeah. never got the glory. Hopefully, those royalties bought him a house. Um, I I think there are two people that we haven't talked about that had success away from Prince. Uh, you could still call them proteges because they gave them their start. Andre Simon, who had mm. a decent solo career and became a big producer for Adam Ant and people like that. Uh, Andre Simon's early solo albums are outstanding. Living in a new wave is fantastic. Jody Watley, I mean, he had huge mm. mega platinum success doing her stuff. And Jesse Johnson, who is on our favorite soundtrack of all time, Pretty in Pink, with Get to Know Ya. Um, and Jesse Johnson, it was what, 2015, uh, D'Angelo does a one-off concert up at the House of Blues on Sunset, hits the stage, starts playing, and he's like, oh yeah, by the way, my new guitar player, Jesse Johnson. Wow. And Jesse Johnson's wow. been playing guitar for D'Angelo for almost 10 years now. Because wow. D'Angelo's that deep into the Prince stuff. And that makes sense. Forever immortalized on the time single, Jesse. N- now Jerome. There you go. <laughs> and we must mention Ingrid Chavez. Oh my God. Do We're we? getting a little bit into 90s here, but I don't mind blurring into the I early 90s. I just had 90s. her name, Ingrid Chavez, because I'm on a whole Japan David Sylvian thing today. Yes. <laughs> I, I watched the whole Gemma Takes Polaroids thing, whatever. But just shout out Ingrid Chavez. You're a real one. 
And it kind of brings it back when I was talking about how the Kim Basinger record had some sort of justify my love vibes. You know, obviously she co-wrote justify my love. All uh, There was a lawsuit about that, but she did. But yes, that was one. And if we're sort of skirting into the early 90s, which I, I think is fine I because we talked about, you know, Ingrid <laughs> and we talked about Carmen. Do we consider Tevin Campbell? A Absolutely. With round and round from graffiti. Yeah, I mean, dude, graffiti Tevin bridge Campbell was a protege from jump. Even before he got signed, people knew that Tevin Campbell was going to be something. But, but he was around before. He's, he's yeah, exactly. Yeah. He wasn't, yeah. he wasn't really Prince's guy. I no, mean, Prince, Prince didn't discover him, but I yeah. just, he was already like, everybody kind of discovered Tevin Campbell. Well, he was Tevin under the Sheena Easton category. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Adjacent. Yeah. We'll put him in the adjacent. People so, who yeah. Changed by Prince. Yeah, I think people well, were kind of we surprised all? that Prince was so into Tevin Campbell. I think people were shocked by that yeah. because yeah. he was such a traditional, you know, like clean cut kid. You know. Found religion. Here's your clean cut kid. And from my memory, you know, Graffiti <laughs> Bridge was not a um, looked back on as a particularly successful movie project for Prince. I mean, <laughs> But that was sort of one of the redemptive things of it is that round right. and round from the soundtrack was such a hit. Right. Well, as we wrap up, you know, sort of taking it back to the um, album I mentioned, the compilation originals, where we get to hear Prince do the demos of a lot of the songs that were made famous by people he worked with, his collaborators and protégés and mentees. You know, we're, we've talked about a wide swath of, of people here. Some of them are women, some of them are men, some of them are gay, some of them are straight. We have Tevin Campbell, who was a kid. We have Andrew Simone, we have Morris Day, we have Sheila E., we have actresses. What is the through line? Like when we're talking, when we're looking at like the people he chose to work with and the music he chose to give people, whether it was Susanna Hoffs or it was uh, Jill Jones or it was Del Bozio, <laughs> like do we see a connection between the type of people he wanted to have in his orbit? Oh, I think we do. <laughs> oh, no, some of them were not hot chicks. Some You're of mostly them were not. beautiful. If it wasn't about, there was definitely a vibe though. There was a vibe thing. I think that was really important to And there really was talent to for the most part. Yeah. Not always. And like you were saying, you know, like if you're not going to be willing to get up and dance, you know what I'm saying? I think Prince was constantly looking for people that were willing to dance with him, you know, were willing to just like go along with it. You know, it, they had that vibe and that vibe might have lasted for a long time or a short time, but while it was happening, I feel and, like it was genuine. And the one thing I'll ask about that is when it comes to the fact that yes, the majority of his famous collaborators were women where the, the personal and the professional crossed over sometimes with, with great results, sometimes not. But do you think that for him talent was an aphrodisiac? Like when he saw the, the prowess of drumming and musicianship that Sheila E had or the, the pipes that I would you know, think so. Sheena Easton I would think had. So. Even in a weird way with someone like Wendy, even though he knew that it was not happening and he was with his sister. I think that that definitely was something that, you know, got the neurons firing for sure was seeing like, wow, you're beautiful and I want you. And wow, you can really play, you know, you can <laughs> like, really play. And that brings it back to what I was saying, where I feel like there was a baseline level of respect, even yeah. if the lines got blurred sometimes. And so I want to, so he he brought us a lot of great music on his own. And then he just, it was a gift that kept on giving with him, you know, spawning all these other great singles and all these great hits and these great careers. I'm going to take off because I need to listen to the Kim Basinger record and, me both. <laughs> and Dale's record. I don't know if that exists on the dark web, but I'm going to look it, for it. It's up, it's streaming and you got to see the video for Simon Simon. You'll love it. <laughs> Simon, oh my. Simon. 
Oh my so Ooh, life in the words of Dale Bosey herself, life is so strange. Oh yeah. So strange. So this has been a strange and wonderful conversation. Thank you so much, Scott, for joining us again and bringing Thank your Thank you expertise. for having me. You guys are reminding me of all these wonderful memories. My first <laughs> two French shows were in 1983 in the early part of the year. December 1983, I saw Des Dickerson and the Modern at St. Andrews Hall, and it was fantastic. I just wanted to say that. <laughs> All right. Well, I can't I can't top that. So we're just going to sign off. Thank you again, Scott. I am Lindsay Parker. I've been joined today by Scott Sterling and John Hughes. We want to thank you for listening. Remember to give us a rate and review on your favorite podcast platform. And we will catch you next time. This was Totally 80s, the podcast dedicated to the music of the greatest decade ever. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Totally 80s. And please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Until our next episode, catch you on the flip side. 